Hey folks, 260 Bible Reading is here to stay. In fact, in 2023, you don't want to miss the first message, the first Sunday, because we are going to be teaching through the 260 reading program for the entirety of 2023. And Pastor Tim's excited to be with you on that day, but he's not here today. And we pray We ask you to pray for his health and his restoration, that he would be able to be with you next Sunday and bring a Christmas greeting. But today, Pastor Mike, we look forward to what the Lord has revealed for you to share with us. Welcome, Pastor Mike. If you can, take the hand of the person next to you, and let's come into a point of physical agreement, but let's also come into a point of spiritual agreement. As, as Kelly just prayed for Pastor Tim, let's, as a body, let's do that. I remember a couple of weeks ago when I was, if you don't know, I actually had a, a short stint in the ER and I've been diagnosed with uh, atrial fibrillation and congestive heart failure. So you won't see me jumping off the, 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 the platform anymore. That, th- those days are over. But you guys were so kind to pray for me. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. We're asking our Father a fresh move from heaven. Lord, we're so grateful that your word tells us in Psalm 107 and verse 20 that when the Messiah would come, there was no need for that person of the Messiah to even be in the very presence of the one for whom they would pray. But they would simply speak a word, and that word would bring healing, and that word would bring health. And that word would bring strength. And that word would bring hope. And so, God, today, we as a congregation, people who love our pastor, people, God, who have the privilege of bringing him before your throne, we're asking Jesus that not only would we bring him to your throne for grace, but, Father, that you would send the power of God from heaven to touch his body. Lord, we believe that you are not just our soon-coming king. You're not just our savior. You're not just the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, but you are the healer of our bodies, body, soul, and spirit. So we pray, God, for Pastor Tim now, that his body, soul, and spirit would be brought into a perfect alignment, absolute health, and that Jesus, before the end of this day, he will know that he has received a fresh anointing and touch from the presence of God in glory. And what what an incredible opportunity for us to then say, once again, glory to you, God, in the highest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, after more than four decades of being a pastor, I will tell you, I'm I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. There was very few worship leaders that I worked with other than to let them know that I was going to be teaching from a particular text. And, and I almost always taught in a series format, and so one text followed the other. And, but it was very few times that I would actually sit with a worship leader and I would work on the set with them. I just entrusted them to the acknowledgement that when they heard from the Lord, they would put together something that was right for us. Amen? That second song today is absolutely spot on for what I'm going to be talking about today. All right? And I'll I'll tease you with that just for a few minutes. I know that in the last several weeks, you have been in Hebrews chapter 10. 
verse 23. I want to remind you that it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And there was a series of messages, I believe there were three messages, that Pastor Tim brought, Pastor Kalen brought, about that particular passage of Scripture. And we remind ourselves today that where there is no promise, there can be no hope. Right? Where there's no promise, there can be no hope. And so when we look at this text, our responsibility is to hold fast, but our responsibility is also to share what it is we have by way of the promises of God to someone else. Amen? Amen. All of you here today who know Jesus Christ, all of you, have a story. And your story might be mocked, and your story might be belittled, and your story may not be believed. Amen? But can I give you something today to start off with today? Your story is your story. And it's the story that you need to tell to people about how Jesus has come into your life and changed your life and brought you to a place where you have come to believe in him as a faithful God who keeps his word from one generation to another generation. Amen? Amen. All of us. All of us have a story. Now, some of our stories, amen, are a bit more dramatic than others, right? And I suppose we could just begin to ask a few of you to come forward and talk about how it is you met the Lord. And we might be just sitting in our, our chair going, well, that's not my story. It was nothing so dramatic as that. Still your story. And as we continue into the Christmas story today, can I just share with you a little bit about where we're going today? We have these precious promises from God. Amen. We have these these that have been given to us in the word, and we're holding on to those in hope, and we're trusting God to bring those to a place of fulfillment in a time that for some of us might yet be future, amen? How many of you, show of hands, say, how many of you have a promise that God has given you that has not yet found its fulfillment? All right, most of you, amen? All right? Here's where we're going today. What are you going to do while you're in the waiting room? When's the last time you were in a waiting room, right? When you hear the word waiting room in America, what do you think? There you go. When I went into the ER that day, we were smart enough to go early. And we got there and there was this little, and I didn't necessarily think of Kaylin and, and Jesse James, but here's this woman with this little baby and and that little baby was just not feeling well, you could tell. And, and so Cindy and I come in, and I take a seat and start doing all the paperwork. Six and a half hours later, when I came out, there were like 50 people in the ER, right? And it was everything I could do, because, probably because I had been poked and prodded and, and didn't have much breath left at that point in time. But to want to share this particular story about what do you do in the waiting room? And, and most of us know, if we've been in the waiting room, it's typically not an experience that we would like. Amen? Amen? We're waiting to hear something that we think is going to be either foreboding or it's going to change our lives. And, 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 and be that as it is, it's true. That may not be the promise that God is, is bringing you to a place of fulfillment for you. But I will repeat the statement. What do you do in the waiting room? 
And I'm going to suggest today as we walk through this story in Luke chapter 2, and if you've brought your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. Open with me there to Luke chapter 2. We're going to talk about Simeon today, a man who was waiting for the fulfillment of a promise from God, which finds its completion in this story, but yet opens us up to the Advent story where so many people had been given promises by God, including the nation of Israel, that had to wait generation after generation after generation. So let's begin. We got that up there. It will be soon, hopefully. Verses 25, Luke chapter 2 through 35. Now there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die. There's the promise. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace. As you have promised me, I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel, and it will be their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy to many others. Thus, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, Candidly, I'm not going to speak to the last three verses today. It was, by the way, part of what is the fifth Christmas song in the Gospel of Luke. If you go through the Gospel of Luke, there are five different people singing five different songs of praise to God. It concludes here with Simeon. It concludes with Mary and Joseph hearing a message that their son would be the object of not just scorn and ridicule, but outright rejection. That he would be a sign to be opposed, but those who kept from stumbling over him would be raised to newness of life, just like you and I. And those who rejected him would be brought low to a place of eternal separation from God. Tough word, amen, to hear. As you came into the temple, you're, you're coming into the temple on the eighth day to, to present your child, your firstborn child to the Lord as an offering. And yet you leave hearing a little bit more of the revelation of what God had for his parents in the work of their son. I want you, before we get into the, the thrust of what I'm going to share today, I want you to go back with me and I want you to look with me at a couple things here in this text. Notice how Simeon is described. He describes it as righteous and devout. Now, the, I, I, don't, I, I don't think we should split hairs between what those two words mean. The idea about being righteous is that you are keeping all the obedience that you see in the law. 
that you put that obedience to the law, the, the obedience to the word of God, you put it as the highest priority of your life. Devout has the idea of a, of a sense of a godliness that we have before the Lord, that, that it's piety, if you will. It's the sense in which when people look at us, they say, he must be a very spiritual person. So there's the obedience to be sure, there's this cautiousness to obey everything in the word, but then it says that the Holy Spirit rested on him. Amen? Did you, did you catch that? It rested on him. Because we're still living in the Old Testament economy at this time. And in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon people, instead of today, when he fills us, amen, he rested upon them. He fills us. In fact, in Ephesians 5.18, it says that we should be filled Moment by moment by moment. Notice what happens with Simeon because the Spirit of God is at work in his life. He's being directed. He's being led by the Spirit of God. Somehow or another, he got a word from the Lord that he was to go into the temple that day. Notice the contrast if you were to read verses 36 through 38. There is this older woman, Anna, who was 84 years of age, and it was said that she never left the temple that she served in the temple day and night, fasting and praying. She is the contrast to Simeon, who was being led to the temple because now the Lord was going to bring to his fulfillment the promise that he would see the Lord's Messiah before he called him to a place of going home. Rested, led, anticipating that he would see the Lord. We, we had a little time of prayer before service this morning, and I had a chance to share something that the Lord's really been speaking to me, that often God shows up to people most principally where they work, right? In the story, for example, where does God show up to the shepherds? Out in their fields by night, right? Where does God show up to the priest, Zacharias, in the temple? Where does God show up to Mary? Presumably, although it doesn't say, does say so, she was in her home, right? God tends to show up where he will find you most of the time. And so I'm praying that the Lord will show up today for you. Not only as we've gathered here in this place, but those of our workers who are out serving and ministering to the needs of other people, that the Lord will show up to them even as they serve to other people. There is this anticipation that Simeon had that I want us to have as a congregation as well. I want us to wake up every morning thinking this, God is going to show up to me today. God is going to give me a word today. God is going to point someone out to me today who I may be able to serve and I may be able to help. Or maybe I'll just be able to encourage them. But God is going to show up in my life today and use me to advance his purposes and his glory. I want that for us. Who wants to live a boring life where God never shows up? Now, I know there are times when I keep praying that God would show up and help my beloved angels, but that, that doesn't happen. Apparently, he doesn't know how to get to Anaheim and help my baseball team. I know he does. I think he's got larger fish to fry, amen? <laughs> The reality, though, is very simply this. Simeon lived in anticipation, do we? 
Simeon lived in anticipation that God was going to use him. Now, I don't want to show of hands for this, but I, I, am, I want to put this out there. How many of you have gone through at least a season in your life when you kind of put yourself on the sidelines instead of on the playing field because you didn't think God could use you? I cut that off in the name of Jesus. You are a child of God. The Spirit of God lives in you, and he wants to use you to bring about the advancement of his purposes and to bring himself glory. Amen? Amen. We all have a story. Don't be afraid to share your story. We also see that there is this statement made here in this passage. When he was led into the temple to see the baby Jesus in the fulfillment of the promise that God had for him. Do you notice what he says about Jesus? He's not only going to be the glory of his people, Israel. He's going to be the one who reveals God to the nations. In other words, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, not only to the nation of Israel, but he is King of kings and Lord of lords to you and I as Gentiles. That this was a missionary song that he was given to sing. That this was going to be a child who would grow up and not only bring salvation to the nation, which had waited so long for him. Think about it. Think about how long they waited in the waiting room. At the end of Malachi in the Old Testament, until John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, until John the Baptist was born and began his ministry and began to act as the forerunner of the Messiah, 400 years. Can you imagine living without a word from God for even a, a, a part of that period of time? When we wake up in the morning and we read our 260 book, or we wake up in our morning and we read some other devotional, or we, we go to some Bible study, whatever, is it not the delight of your soul that you are once again being brought into contact with the written word of God? Can you imagine being without the word of God? But for 400 years, the nation of Israel had not heard the prophetic word. And on top of that, it had been 750 years since Isaiah penned that wonderful passage that we see, the virgin will bear a son, and they shall name his name Emmanuel, for God is what? With us. Can you imagine what their waiting room was like? So today, I want to talk to us about these promises that we have from God that we're to hold fast to, and we are, but have not yet found their fulfillment. What do you learn in the waiting room, all right? So if I might, I'm going to give you five things that waiting teaches us. We're going to start with one that all of you just love so much. Ready? Waiting teaches us patience. Now, when you were little, I want, to get, I want to get an amen or two from this. When you were little and you went and you looked underneath the Christmas tree, how many of you, at least once or twice, underneath the Christmas tree, 
picked up a package or two and looked to see whether your name was affixed to that passage. I was was reading a story yesterday about a gentleman that has proved to be highly significant in my development as a, not just as a believer, but as a teacher. And he wrote about all he wanted when he was a little guy for Christmas was a brand new basketball. And he kept dropping hints and he'd disguise his voice and call his mother and say, Chuck really wants a basketball for Christmas. So he gets underneath the tree and he finds this package that is perfect for a basketball to be inside. And then he opened it up on Christmas morning and it was a globe. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting teaches us patience. Number two, waiting teaches us to have the value of silence brought to us. I've had lengthy conversations with Pastor Tim, and over the last several years, I will tell you that one of the most significant things that I've learned in my life is the introduction of silence and solitude to my life. I live in a very loud world, and I enjoyed the privilege of more than four decades of serving in a local church. But serving, as Pastor Kelly would tell you, serving in the local church is often one interruption after another. We can make our to-do list in the morning, and we can get home at the end of the day, and we'll look at our list and go, well, shoot, (laughs) that didn't happen. But ministry went on, amen? But the reality is this, is that we live in a loud world. There are a lot of conflicting voices out there for us. And I would suggest to you that it's important for us to introduce into our lives this idea of silence and solitude so that we have the opportunity to sit before the Lord and hear what he has to say. Third, it's to develop trust. Psalm 130 and verse 5 says that as we wait before the Lord, it helps us to learn to begin to trust the promises of his word more. To develop, if you will, trust in the Lord and in his word. Fourth, to learn to seek the Lord persistently. How often in our lives, even with the best of intentions, we make a statement that says we're going to follow after God. We're going to do something that we believe that God has called us to do. And yet, if you will, the fruit that might be attached to that or the outcome that we want to see as coming forth from that effort delays in coming. And how much more difficult is it when you go to work, when you pour into your children's lives, when you're about doing work in the kingdom of God, And the promise of seeing something of fruit develop, the promise of a a return for your labor is not there. And let me ask you then, have you ever found yourself in your life doing that you know God has called you to do, but finding it harder and harder and harder to do it because the end of it is not in 
sight. I think I've told you the story before, but one of the great biblical characters of modern-day England's history was a man named George Mueller. And George Mueller was a man who ran orphanages in the 19th century in England. And Mueller was a man of deep prayer. In fact, his book, Answers to Prayer, should should be one that you might want to read, especially when you feel like your own prayer life is lagging. And one day they were sitting at the orphanage and he gathered all the children around him at the table, kind of like an Oliver Twist scene, right? You remember the movie Oliver, right? And he says to these children, he says, children, we have no milk today. Children, we must pray for milk. And so they clasped each other's hands, as he writes, and they began to ask the Lord to send milk. And there was a knock on the door of the orphanage. And Brother Mueller goes to open the door, and there, as he opens the door, is the neighborhood milkman who says to Brother Mueller, Brother Mueller, my cart has broken down, and I cannot get this milk to where it needs to go because it will spoil. Brother Mueller, do you and the children have need of milk? What do you think that did to the faith of those children? The story goes that Brother Mueller prayed for 30 years for the salvation of four of his friends. Before he died, they came to know the Lord. A fifth accepted Jesus at his memorial service and a sixth shortly thereafter. The end may not be in sight, but if God has called you to pray for somebody, amen, Hold fast in hope that that is the promise of God that he will fulfill because God is not willing that any man should perish, but all come to repentance in Christ Jesus. Hold fast. But it's about being persistent, amen? One of the greatest quotes about persistence, actually it's perseverance, was by Charles Spurgeon. You'll love this one. It says, by perseverance, the snail made the ark. And by the way, for those of us who have children, by perseverance, your children will become adults. (laughs) And finally, one that you probably know the best, Isaiah 40 and verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting regains our strength. Those are lessons we need to learn, amen, while we're in the waiting room. But now the question is, how will we live them out? Because they sound so personal to us, right? Because if I started over here and worked my way all over here and said, which one of those five, developing trust, silence and solitude, patience, regaining our strength, asking the Lord to give us a spirit of perseverance, that might be a different answer, amen, for everybody here in the congregation. Some of you are probably pretty good at patience. Well, there wasn't a lot of response to that, was there? (laughs) 
Can I at least get somebody that says, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty good with patience. I'm pretty good with patience as it deals with people, not so much circumstances, right? I woke up this morning. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the sermon. But I woke up this morning, and I looked out our bedroom window, and last night the winds came. Amen? And I have succulents that I put up on the berm in our backyard, all of which were just blown down the berm. And I, I had to start my day off today going out there and picking them up and putting them. Some of those succulents are like 30, 40 years old. It's like, oh, patience with those kind of circumstances, not so much. But what are we to walk out as it relates to waiting as we live in this season for the fulfillment of the promise that God has given to us? And we're going we're gonna to think about the characters of Christmas as we take a look at these. First, this this, wait and walk, which is to obey. In the midst of waiting, you still need to walk. And walk in the, in the New Testament is always a picture of progress. I mean, if you and I are driving down the street one day and we see somebody doing this, can I just say to you that's not normative behavior? Right, we move what? Forward, not regression. Waiting and walking has the idea of obedience. How many of the characters of Scripture can you think of this morning that walked in obedience to what God had told them he was going to do? Now, some of you, especially all the wives here today, I hope you don't laugh too loudly at this, can you imagine what it must have been like to be in a marriage that for nine months your husband didn't say one word to you? Zacharias, right? He didn't believe what was going to happen to him. And so the Lord brought a point of judgment upon him, right? But I'll, I'm, I'm willing to suggest to you, if you read the story pretty carefully, he was obedient to believe that what God had promised, God would do. And what about... Mary visiting Elizabeth. What an incredible story in Luke chapter 1, middle section, probably around verses, what, 45 to 56, somewhere in that. Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who she had been told as evidence of what God would do, amen, in her own life. Even your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, is now in her sixth month. And so what does she do? She goes and visits her cousin. And when she walks in the room, being faithful, being, being if you will, obedient to what God had laid on her heart to do, Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord would come to visit me? Now, can I just give you a little free one? This was not in the notes today, all right? I know you're a mature person. When you can stand back and applaud the work of God in somebody else's life that supersedes what God is doing in your life. Because in any event, it is the kingdom of God that is still being advanced. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about some of us having the same gifts, but your sphere of operating in those gifts may not be as broad as another. You're still instrumental in the kingdom of God. And so Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to visit me? 
How about those shepherds? It says in haste they went to see what that choir of heavenly angels had told them was going to happen. They didn't like sit around and discuss it and say, did we really see that? That glory up there. In the, did, did, did you guys see that? No, they just what? Went. Wait and walk, which is to obey. In other words, in the waiting room, gang, walk out what you already know God has told you to what? Do. Number two, wait and worship, which is to adore God. You came here this morning ultimately not to listen necessarily to the word of God. It is part of the service, right? But have you noticed that what you came here for was to be connected to the living God? Whether it's through the pages of his word or Pastor Kaylin as she led us and her team in worship. Worship prepares us to hear what God is saying to us. The Christmas story is filled with people who worship God. How about the wise men. How about two years of their life, minimum 18 months, maybe up to two years? Because when they finally did find the Christ, is he a baby in a manger? No, he's a child in a home. And what did they do when they walked? Before they gave the gifts, amen? The scripture says before they gave the gifts, they knelt down and they worshiped him. So wait and worship, which is to adore God. It's replete within the Christmas story. People who come to a point where they recognize that God alone is worthy to be given praise. Amen. God alone is worthy of our worship. Three, wait and witness, which is to share the good news about Jesus. Wait and witness. When you were in the Hebrews passage, that was one of the main components of that passage that you spent so much time in. And now you're holding fast to those promises because God is faithful to bring his promises to a place of fulfillment. But here's the deal. The promises that you have been given by God, unless they are specifically given to you and you're not told to talk about them, you ought to be talking about them. This is a promise God has made to me, and I believe he's going to fulfill that promise. But the reality is this. All of us, as I said earlier today, all of us have a story. Tell your story. All of us have enough knowledge of Scripture when you're sitting tomorrow next to somebody at your work site. And that person either shares with you the difficulty of what they're experiencing in life, the affliction they might be going through, the trial they might be experiencing, whatever. You have then something that God is going to put on your heart to share, to bring comfort to that person, even if it's just for the moment. Because you're witnessing about the goodness of our God. Who didn't talk about God in the midst of the Christmas story? Do you suppose Elizabeth and Zacharias, even though he couldn't speak, do you suppose there were some things being passed along on a tablet during that whole period of time? Do you think maybe the shepherds, by the way, the shepherds were people that were so well known as being people with no integrity, you were never allowed as a shepherd to give testimony in a court of law in Israel. They just dismissed you out of hand because of your profession. And do you think they talked 
to other people about what they'd seen? Absolutely. Do you think that they talked among each other from that time forward? Do you remember that night? Do you remember when we saw the baby? Every major character in the Christmas story talks about the promise that God had given them. And it's been fulfilled in us. You have Jesus in you, amen? And if I can't get excited about Jesus in me, and you don't have to be rude and you don't have to be uncivil and you don't have to be uh, drawing undue attention to yourself as you share your story. Just share your story. Fourth, wait and work for the advancement of God's purposes. You and I have been given jobs to do, different places. By the way, even when I was pastoring, and I'm sure that Tim and Kelly would amen this and, and have probably said the same thing to you. The fact of the matter is that you go to a place tomorrow morning where you go to work, that they will probably not either be able to go into or have not been invited to go to. But how many of you honestly today see yourself as that's your mission field, at least in part? The public school teacher, the emergency room doctor. I, I want to tell you, when I was in the ER over here at Marion, I'm getting ready to deal with all the questions and, and the, the, they're rolling in this cart and they're, they're asking me to stick my arm out and you know what that means when they tell you to stick your arm out, right? And here comes this dear sweet saint of God who is a part of your congregation who found out by watching the monitor in the nurse, nurse's lounge that there was a person in the, in the ER that day with the last name F-O-E-L-L -L, and she said there can only be one of them. <laughs> She walked into my room and she said, before we do anything else, let's pray. Because she sees it as a what? A mission field. I see my neighborhood as my mission field. I'll never forget when I was living in Orange County. I used to pray through my neighborhood. And I would sometimes take the dogs with me, and sometimes it would just be me. And I'd just start at one end of the block and go to the other end of the block, and I would, I would, I would just be praying, right? <laughs> so one night, I'm standing in front of this guy's house, and he comes out and says to me, I'm a little concerned that I got a guy standing outside my door talking to himself. <laughs> to which my response was, sir, I'm not talking to myself I'm talking to Jesus about you and how he's going to bless you. And he was like, <laughs> he didn't know what to do with it, right? Wait and work for the advancement of God's purposes. And then finally, and I love the way we can close this, wait and watch for his return. You see, the first advent, the first coming was Jesus as a little boy in a manger, amen? 
I'm telling you what, gang, when he comes back, he's not going to be a little boy in the manger. All right? We are called in 1 John chapter 3 to wait for the blessed hope. And when we see him, we will be like he is. In Matthew 24 and 25, in Mark 13, in Luke 21, there are all chapters that deal with Jesus talking about the end times. And they all have this common thought to them. Watch for my return. Know what the signs are. And I believe that the Lord Jesus could come back at any time. We want to be ready, amen? amen? We want to be ready, but we also have things to do while we're waiting for his return. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking today that you would help us understand that which you've called us to do as we await for your return. Thank you that not only are you the blessed hope, but that you impart hope to us. Father, where there are no promises, there can be no hope. But you have given us from the time that history began, the promises that God, you would bring about in your own time. You have given us precious promises, exceedingly great and glorious promises, many of which God have already found their fulfillment. But those that have not Jesus, would you continue to make us hold fast, hold unswervingly to the fact that those promises yet fulfilled will be fulfilled because they come from the lips and the heart and the mandate of a faithful God. Help us to that end, Jesus. And as we wait and watch for your return, help us to be busy to pray. Help us to be busy to share our story with others. Help us to be busy to give you, God, some time during our day to hear from you and to join others throughout the week as opportunities present themselves, certainly on a Sunday, God, to join with others in celebration of your glory and your goodness to us. Lord, I'm so grateful for this group of people holding fast in this season of waiting for all that has been promised to them as individuals, as families, even as a congregation, perhaps, but doing so with an unswerving hope that he who has promised is faithful and all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Thank you for that. Bless and encourage them as they go out to their mission field today. As they go home to their neighborhoods, as they return to their offices tomorrow, as they, Father, find opportunity to fellowship among other people, would you, God, continue to give us the empowerment of your spirit so that, Lord Jesus, we would seize every opportunity we can to stand up and say a good word for you. And it's in your precious, precious name that we pray. Amen. There will be people up here to, to pray with you. I encourage you as they 
come as the prayer team comes. I want to encourage you, if, if there's a little bit of you today that says, Mike, yes, there are promises, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm growing a little tired, Mike. I'm growing a little weary and waiting for the fulfillment of that. I want to encourage you to come and get prayer. If you need a touch upon your body, if you need something that, that the Lord has told you, that if you just bring it to him, he will begin to work it through for you. Amen? I want to continue to do that again. Have a fabulous week, all right? And remember, he is still king, amen? He's still king.